Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, you're invited to open God's Word together. Uh, we're going to be reading Exodus chapter 20. You can find that on page 118. Uh, we're going to our final sermon in a series, walking through the, the second tablet, so uh, commandments 5 through 10, and we'll look a little bit at the 10th commandment, um, but also have a, a broader look again at the direction of each of these as they direct us not just um, freedom from something, uh, but freedom into uh, the full life that God has for us. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that, it may, <clears throat> so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, back in 1994, there was a famous movie that came up called The, the Lion King. Um, in this we have uh, an interesting relationship between a father and son. We have little Simba here and his father, Mufasa. And in the beginning, Mufasa is teaching Simba what it means to be a lion, uh, what it means to, to rule the land and to bring that land into flourishing. Uh, Simba's father here is a picture of wisdom, he passes down the, the ancient wisdom of the, his forefathers and from the ancestors. He tells Simba how the world is supposed to be. They are meant to govern the land so that each of the different animals can flourish in their own way. And he teaches all of these things with, with a light heart. He's a father who laughs and patiently teaches his son how to live well in the land and under his rule, that the, the land flourishes, it's green, it's vibrant. All the animals benefit from this. But in the movie, we also get a glimpse of what the land is like without this rule, when it's abandoned. Uh, this is perhaps best seen when Simba kind of escapes and goes beyond the limits, and he finds himself in a place that looks like that. He's surrounded by bones and shadows and darkness and gases erupt from the dry and cracked soil around him. The contrast couldn't be much more stark between the two here. It's clear that this, this good life, a life that leads towards freedom and flourishing, is one where this dark land here there is a sort of freedom that's in there. Um, the, the, the creatures that are there are free to act as they like, but it doesn't lead to flourishing. 
Simba, learning from his father, I think actually gives an interesting picture for how we are to understand the Ten Commandments. After all, in the book of Exodus, the relationship between Israel and God is that between a father and son. And this is first presented in Exodus chapter 4. So right after the burning bush experience in in Exodus chapter 3, God is speaking to Moses, and he says this, Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go that he can worship me. Just to say, let let my son go that that he can serve me, that he can live into the way that he is supposed to. You know, this this image of sonship kind of continues forward. That that theme can be found even in the the ten plagues. We remember the tenth one in particular, where God seizes the firstborn son of Pharaoh in response to Pharaoh seizing his firstborn son. So when we come to the Ten Commandments, we see a son listening to his father. And this actually fits the grammar of the passage. Uh, something that doesn't really show up in English, but theologians and, and biblical scholars will point out that all of the you's in this passage, the, the you shall nots, uh, they're all first person or, and masculine and singular. So it's you, one person, do not murder. You, one person, do not steal. Uh, The the grammar itself is inviting us to consider this relationship between God and Israel as father and son. And it invites us also to to consider this relationship, this, this passing down of eternal wisdom that leads to a rule that will bring flourishing, not just for the people, but for everyone around. You can think back to that image from The Lion King. The Ten Commandments aren't just commands. They're not just rules that are impersonal. This is a father speaking to a child about his likes and dislikes. It's it's personal disclosure. It reveals God's character. These are words where we see a loving father teaching Israel, his child, this is who I am. If you live like this, you will bring the world into the flourishing that it was meant for. Sonship has always been image-bearing language. Israel was considered to be this, this new Adam He was supposed to live like Adam was supposed to be, as as a person that imitates and images the Father into the world. Uh, So the the don'ts that we find in the the commandments here, paradoxically, are meant to draw us into freedom. Uh, A way of thinking about this is imagining a community where these commandments aren't lived into. A community that's dominated by disrespect for parents, with workaholism, violence, theft, lies, envy. A community like that is far from free. Now, 
That sort of statement can still sometimes be confusing if we're just so used to a cultural definition of freedom that is purely a freedom from restrictions. Freedom is freedom to do whatever we want. But, but if we really look at anything in creation, we'll see that that's just not how things work. Now, as a little illustration here, think of an acorn. When it's planted, it will grow into an oak tree. Now, there, there's a certain amount of freedom in its process. We don't know exactly how tall this tree will be. We don't know the shape of its branches. There, there's all sorts of ways that it can reach out, and there's kind of a, the infinite way of its freedom in that way. But it is limited to being an oak tree. One thing is for sure is that when it grows, it won't be an apple tree or an evergreen tree or a hazelnut. It has the freedom within limits to be what it's meant for. Freedom for it depends on the conditions of its flourishing. Does it get the sunlight that it's meant for? Is it protected from pests? Does it have any large rocks or, or objects that are deforming it? In the same way, we have the Ten Commandments here. The Ten Commandments are to guide Israel as God's son that gives these conditions into its flourishing. They are to protect people from the pests and viruses that can stunt human growth and flourishing. Our growth, for instance, involves cultivating deep relationships with others. It, it involves recognizing that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. It involves living generously with others. Recognizing this does not mean that we are, are just simply bound people, that we are full of restrictions, uh, but it, it recognizes that our flourishing points us towards something. We have a certain direction to our flourishing. This sort of thing, the Ten Commandments, invite us to imagine the ways that we can live into being fully human. Now, to illustrate this point, I want to look directly at the Tenth Commandment because we haven't spent any time on that yet. After that, we'll, we'll do a little summary of all uh, the commandments that we've looked at. But first, the Tenth Commandment, we have this word, you shall not covet. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, you'll notice there's a lot of things in between there. I kind of like how it's stated here. Uh, it starts with a list. Uh, you, you, you shouldn't covet your neighbor's house or wife or male servant, or female servant, ox or donkey. And then it's kind of like, I could just, this list could go on for a little too long. Let's just capture it in one thing. Let's have a catch-all phrase. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. That, that line knows that there's something instinctive to us, that that list can just grow and grow. There's kind of no end of things that we can see in our neighbors and kind of think, oh, life would be just a little bit better if we had that one extra thing. 
I think it's worth noting in here the word neighbor. While the word neighbor can really mean anyone in the world, it's, it's helpful for us to consider our literal neighbors or, or the people that we are closest to in relationship. Because this is often how coveting and how envy works. It works between the people that we're closest with. Um, I'm far less likely to be envious of someone like Warren Buffett for his wealth than I am to be a little bit envious of a, a colleague that's making just a little bit more than me. Envy seems to be drawn to the types of things that, that would make our lives just a little bit better. Envy can come from seeing vacation pictures from someone in a place that you had saved up for but couldn't quite afford this year. Or the renovation that a friend is doing and it's just out of reach for you. Or a friend who's doing a little bit better in school than you or finds classes to be just easier. Or envy can be in a marriage that seems to have it all together. Our envying and our coveting tends to be strongest when it is close to us. And when we allow these desires to take over, it's like a tree getting stifled in its growth. Or to use an image from Proverbs, we used this image a few weeks ago. In Proverbs it says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Kind of have that image of a tree rotting on the inside. This is kind of in contrast to maybe how our, our culture wants to picture envy. Um, envy is something that, that can motivate us. If we see someone with a little bit more, that can motivate us to be a little bit more successful, to try harder. But that type of motivation doesn't draw us into flourishing. It doesn't draw us into deeper relationship with each other. Envy, far from leading towards flourishing, kind of pits us up against each other. It ultimately makes us weaker, rotting us from the inside out. Which might leave us for the question, how do we resist this? What's, what's the antidote? What, what can we do to prevent envy from kind of stewing within us? Well, sometimes we look at envy or the opposite of envy as contentment. That all we need to do is look around what we have and be happy with that. Don't strive to have what your neighbor has, just look the other way. And conventional wisdom may have us stay there, that that will guard us from envy. But the biblical mandate actually requires a little bit more than that from us. This is because coveting isn't just placing our desires in the wrong things. It's not just about being unhappy with what we have. It's a failure to love our neighbor. Uh, what happens in coveting is that you, you say in your heart, this person, my neighbor, they don't deserve to experience that blessing. That really should be me. That, that good thing that God has blessed them with, that, that good thing that they have, I refuse to celebrate that with them. 
They don't deserve it. They didn't work as hard as me to get it. Coveting, at its core, is a failure to celebrate. It's a failure to love your neighbor in seeing the good thing that they have and to celebrate with them, to praise God for the good thing that they can experience. Where does do not covet point us? What is the ultimate direction that it has? It points us towards celebration, drawing together in community. What ways can we celebrate the good things that other people have? What ways can you encourage other people? What ways can you be thinking of building community rather than allowing envy to kind of stew within us and rot our bones? Notice the type of celebration that's in there. Uh, This is fundamental to who we are as people. It's what we're made for. If we look at the creation story, we see that humanity was made to image God. And part of being image bearers is that we reflect God's goodness into creation, and we take the goodness of creation, and we reflect that back up to God as praise. And we can do that in the good things that we see other people enjoying as well. Now, if you follow the story of Israel, though, you'll notice that even with all of these words of advice, uh, they, they don't follow this law perfectly. It doesn't draw them into the freedom that they were meant for, and that they hoped for. The law exposed their sin, uh, but it didn't actually cause them to live perfectly under it. They still needed more. There would still need to be a, a, another son, one who becomes Israel, and one who does what Israel failed to do. So when we, when we look at the Ten Commandments, we actually get a prelude of the Son of God. Um, we, we shouldn't be surprised to find a connection between Jesus and the Ten Commandments here. Because the Ten Commandments are pointing us towards fully embracing our humanity and what we were meant for. They point us to living into the image of God. And this is something that the church has long taught, that Jesus is the one who fulfills the laws on Sinai. Uh, Sometimes we look at at the Ten Commandments and we kind of ask, like, what what does this have to do with with Christianity? Do do Christians have to follow this? Uh, But if we have this understanding that this actually has the aim of directing us towards love of God and love of our neighbor... We can almost ask that same question in here. If I can find where I am. I really can't. There it is. Sometimes Christians look at the Ten Commandments and wonder if it's really for us. But from this lens, the response would be as ridiculous as asking, is Jesus for us? Because Jesus embodies living into the heart of the law. And here's the thing. 
Jesus doesn't just fulfill the law. He does much more. He perfectly lives into it. And then as the perfect and spotless lamb, he offers himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. Through the cross, the ways that we fail to live into the freedom, the ways in which we are bound up by sin, they are dealt with. They are paid for. Things that otherwise would bind us for eternity are once and for all dealt with on the cross. And then one of the big metaphors that we have of understanding that salvation that the Bible gives us is of adoption, that we now are children, children of God. We get to share in the sonship of Jesus through what Jesus has done, not from the things that we do. Just as men and women were to live into the law that we find in Sinai, so too men and women are created in God's image to live into that sonship in Christ. We are adopted into God's family. We are the new Israel. We are this people with new inheritance. We're image bearers that sit before the Father and listen to how we can become what we are made for. Now, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost, uh, the, the coming of the Spirit. And when Paul talks about Pentecost in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he, he describes it as a change that happens in our hearts. That now, with the Spirit, we change from law written in stone to law that is written in our hearts. And when we think of law written in stone, we should have our minds go back to the Ten Commandments. And he's saying that now we have something that, that's new that animates us into freedom. Now we have the Spirit working in our hearts where we are to listen to the Spirit that prompts us towards love, towards generosity, towards faithfulness, towards celebrating the things that others have. The encouragement for you is to listen to what the Holy Spirit may be saying, what the Spirit may be speaking to you. That the, the Ten Commandments are not about trying to work our way up to heaven. As Christians, we read them as guides towards grateful living, as words that point us to the life that we are meant to live. Like an acorn that, that grows into a big oak tree, has freedom in the varied places where its branches can spread. We look at the commandments and we see the different ways that we are made to live. So I invite you to just pay attention. Which ways are you being invited to be formed? Now I want to finish also by going through... Um, each of the commandments here, the image, I kind of looks like a loaf of bread, but it was the, the best one I could find. These are, these are stone tablets. The first tablet focuses in that, that we are made for worship, that we are worshipers of the true God, and it directs us there. If you want to hear a little bit more on that, you can listen to our 2019 series where we went through the first four commandments. But then in the second tablet, we see that we are made 
for things that draw us into deep relationship, that we are made for community, uh, for, for places where we can submit to one another, where we're not burdened by having to do everything on our own, but that we have others to help us and to guide us, that we are made for relationship, for loving our neighbors, for, that we don't have to retaliate in violence, but we respond in love, that we are made for giving ourselves to one another, that we don't selfishly seek to satisfy our own lustful desires, but we see our desires as something that draws us out towards the other person. We are made for generosity, not for hoarding and taking what should be shared. We are made for truthful speech that encourages and builds others up not hateful language that tears others down. And we're made for celebrating. Not bound to rot and envy, but to celebrate the good in others and lift it up to God as praise. Hopefully in this series, you've been able to see how, how our culture's definition of freedom isn't complete. That too often when we think of freedom, we only think of freedom from restrictions, from rules and regulations. And while we do need freedom from something, we are also freed into a certain way of living. So may you find that you are freed into grateful living through the work of the Spirit working in you. Uh, let's come before God in prayer. Lord, yeah, you created humanity as part of your good creation. And when you created us, you gave us purpose. You gave us things that we could do that would enable us to flourish. You gave us other people to deepen relationship with. You gave us creative minds to, to make different things. You gave us the ability to share with others to celebrate, and to praise. Uh, we look to the goodness of your law, and part of us sees how we have fallen short, that we have missed the mark, that we are not able to do this on our own strength, and we come before you in repentance, acknowledging that we have sinned. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we fail to love you and our neighbors as we ought. Give us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the ability to live into the commandments, the freedom that each brings, that we can be a church that models the depth that is meant for in community, where we can show love of neighbor and generosity, where we can celebrate the good things that others have, where we can encourage and build each other up. And may it come, Lord, from a place of worship in you, as the one true God, may we come before you as the good Father, the one who teaches us the way towards true life. May all that we do be for your glory. Amen.
Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.